Welcome to the Two Journeys podcast. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to join us today and want you to know that this is just one of the many resources available to you for free from Two Journeys Ministry. If you're interested in learning more, just head over to twojourneys.org. Now on to today's episode. This is episode five in our Thessalonians Bible Study podcast. This episode is entitled, The Coming Day of the Lord, where we'll discuss 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses that we're looking at today? So in some ways, there's a strong, a very strong connection between the end of 1 Thessalonians 4, the rapture passage, and the passage we're looking at today. So it really is almost a continuation of the second coming of the Lord and how we as Christians should be alert. And it very much connects with Jesus' teaching about the end times in both Matthew 24 and Mark 13, which is different coverage at the same time, in which Jesus told his disciples about the second coming and how they should be ready. And the basic idea is we must be alert, we must be on guard. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night to unbelievers, but it shouldn't catch us unawares. Paul openly says that. Mm. It shouldn't come upon us like a thief. But Jesus did say we would not know the exact day or hour of his coming. And so for me, what this passage is going to do is dovetail very beautifully with parables and other exhortations Jesus gives in Matthew 24 and 25, Mark 13, for how all Christians should be ready at every time, every moment, at any moment for the second coming of Christ. Let me go ahead and read for us 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 11. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them, as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing." So Paul begins with this phrase, times and seasons. What is Paul speaking of when he says the times and the seasons? Well, I mean, this goes to the the obvious question that we have. We get details about the rapture, very specific details about the second coming of Christ and the dead in Christ rising and all of this information. And, and as we're listening to that, similar to Jesus making the prediction of the destruction of the temple and then the connection that the disciples made with the end of the world, the end of the age, the second coming, all of these things, uh, there's going to come a question always. When? When is it going to come? And it's obvious, the more you think about it, how that question cannot be answered. It's not that there isn't that knowledge, that isn't, there isn't that information. God the Father knows. Mm. All the days ordained for me individually, personally, were written in God's book before one of them came to be. Mm. But that's true of every human being on earth. Therefore, it must be true of earth, it must be true of earth's history. All the days ordained for earth were written in God's book before one of them came to be. Mm. He knows the exact day and hour of the second coming of Christ. He's just not telling us. And you can see why it would affect things. It's an influence. It would have a strong influence mm. on 
at this point, 20 centuries of church history. So 19 and a half or 20, almost 20 centuries of those people would know it's not coming in our time. Hmm. So they would live differently. They would have different a different way of living. Yeah. Well, the Lord would not have it so. So he needed to speak in such a way that he wasn't lying, wasn't misleading. But every generation for 20 centuries really did believe he could come in their generation. Hmm. So that's a very interesting kind of tightrope that the scripture has to walk. Yeah. And so he, he does it by saying, you don't know when he's coming. You need to be busy doing what he tells you to do until he comes and leave that to him. So he's very clear. He says in both Matthew and in Mark, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, he said, yeah. but only the father. Now we believe that the son knows now. Once the son ascended and sat at the right hand of God, he knows everything. But in his humanness, he didn't know the exact day or hour of his return. So we, Paul says, you don't need me to write to you. You, you don't know and you won't know. Yeah. So date, times and dates, there is nothing I can tell you. Uh, you you just need to be ready until he comes. Now, let's talk about that phrase. Why would Paul say, you have no need to have anything written to you, but then seemingly write instructions for mm -hmm. them? What does this teach us about the need for continual reminder and affirmation sure. about the Christian doctrine that we've learned? Well, it's complex. I mean, I think what I would say is he does give us indicators. He gives us signs of the times. Uh, he even uses a parable of a fig tree. He says, look at the fig tree. You know, when its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things, you know that it is near right at the door. So there are certain indicators. We're supposed to actually see things happening on planet Earth that tell us the time is drawing near. Hmm. Now, that's a dangerous game because, you know, you see some things and you really believe this has got to be it. So it's, an, it's amazing the number of ardent, well-instructed Christian uh, leaders who honestly believe that because this and this and this was happening in current events, this was the final generation. Martin Luther believed that because of the, the amazing military success that the Ottoman Turks were having against mm. European forces. At the Battle of Mohawks in 1526, they defeated a very powerful European Christian force. It looked like the gates had been broken down and the, and the Muslims were about to sweep over, the Turks were about to sweep over all of, all of Europe didn't happen, yeah. didn't happen, but it exerted a tremendous force. And so Martin Luther actually said he believed that he would not finish translating the Bible into German until the end, before the end came. So he actually went out of order and translated the book of Daniel ahead of time to get everyone ready for end time stuff. Wow. Uh, he ended up finishing the whole German Bible, so he was wrong. So, but, but the, the looking at current events and linking them up with the words of scripture is not a wrong thing to do. There is a teaching of what we call the abomination of desolation, which I think has to do with the desecration of the temple of God. When you see that, Jesus said, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So he does tell you to look at things that are happening on earth and that's the analogy of the fig tree, when you see these kinds of things happening. So there's a tension. We're looking for a sequence of events and certain things to happen. And when more and more of that happens, you know that it's near. But it's not gonna happen until the Antichrist comes. We'll get to that in the next book, Second Thessalonians mm -hmm. 2. It cannot come until you see that. So hold your horses. And the hold your horses is important too because some Christians have sold literally everything they had, bought white robes for themselves and waited on roofs yeah. for that very night. And we get a picture of that with the apostles when Jesus ascended 
up into heaven and they're standing there with their necks craning <laughs> and they're looking up and they're not moving. The angels are like, and the angels come and say, what are you doing? You've got work to do. <laughs> so the work is the gospel work. So let's, let's just settle this thing in and say, look, fundamentally, look at the signs of the times, be watching them, but be busy until then. Hmm. Be active, be busy, be ready, be holy. Yeah. So I think Peter gives us, look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. So what we are is we are to be holy, to, to, to not be creatures of the dark. He's gonna talk about that in a minute. Don't yep. be sinful. Be, be ready at any moment, but don't be doing anything you'd be ashamed to be caught doing when he returns. And be sharing the gospel and be watchful. But also there's some things that have to happen first. Yeah. So in verse two, what's the day of the Lord? And what does it mean that it will come like a thief in the night? All right, so the day of the Lord is a common phrase in Old Testament prophetic writing. It's the day of judgment, it's a day of reckoning. It's a day when God gets his day and sets everything right. Now here in, in a narrow context, the day of the Lord is the day of Jesus. It's the day of the Lord Jesus coming back. It's his second coming. So the day of the Lord is the day when Jesus comes back in power to destroy his enemies and to save his own. So that's the day of the Lord. What does verse three tell us about the surprising nature of the second coming of Christ? And what is the sudden destruction that Paul speaks of? Okay, so the day of the Lord will come, he says, like a thief in the night. And the analogy, it's a parable, the analogy is thieves don't announce they're coming. By the way, I'll be coming at 2.30, coming to your house, I'll knock on the door, <laughs> so just have everything ready. No, they come by stealth. So it's amazing for Jesus to liken himself and his coming to a thief in the night. But if you knew the thief was coming, you'd be awake all night. You'd have the lights on, you'd be ready, ready to go, which is exactly what he wants. Mm. It doesn't mean don't go to sleep. I mean, we need to take care of our bodies. Sure. But what he's saying is don't sleep on the second coming. So the idea is the world, the outsiders, to them, it's gonna be like a thief in the night. They didn't, they didn't expect it. But here's the thing, we Bible readers, we've been told. The world has been told. So lost people who get shocked at the second coming shouldn't have been shocked. They should have gotten ready. Now there's a big analogy here, and that is with the flood of Noah. And the idea is the flood is coming. Noah was warned and he warned the people of his generation. Second Peter calls him a preacher of righteousness. Mm. He told them the flood was coming, but they didn't take it to heart. And so the idea here is people are gonna just be marrying and giving in marriage. They'll be about their business. They'll be buying stock and selling properties the day Jesus returns, which is worthless. It's done, but they didn't know that and they weren't ready. Mm -hmm. And so destruction is going to come on them. Jesus says, uh, or Paul here says, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. They didn't see it coming. Mm -hmm. They didn't know it was coming today. This, this Tuesday, and I'm not saying literally this Tuesday, this right. coming Tuesday, but this Tuesday or Thursday is the last day on earth. It's the day everything ends. They didn't know that. They didn't see it coming. And so they just went about their business. They were marrying and giving in marriage, everyday life. And so they're just doing life. And then suddenly, bang. Mm. The same thing happened with Noah's generation. They didn't know what was coming, Jesus said, until the flood came and swept them all away. So it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now, Paul also says that this will happen while people are saying there is peace and security. So what is this sudden destruction that Paul speaks of and what's the connection with peace and security? 
You know, I wonder if there's a connection here with um, Isaiah 39. Hmm. In Isaiah 39, Isaiah the prophet went to rebuke King Hezekiah, who hmm. showed the Babylonians everything in his storehouse. And he said, do you not realize what's going to happen? Uh, the, the Babylonians are gonna come back and they're gonna destroy everything. They're gonna destroy the city, they're gonna burn the temple, they're gonna kill your descendants, and they're gonna take all the gold and silver you've amassed, they're gonna take it all. And he thought, well, that's fine. There'll be peace and security in my lifetime. The exact same phrase. Hmm. So the idea here is I'm well arranged with my life. Everything's set up well. It's kind of like the rich fool who builds bigger barns. Yeah. While people are saying, look, we're, we've got security now. We've yeah. got everything we need for the future. While they're saying that, while their life situation seems to be set up. Hmm. However, there may be a deeper issue. We've got to harmonize. I would say eschatology is very complex. There's lots of moving parts. It's like a big thousand piece puzzle. Hmm. And it's hard to fit them all together into a cohesive whole. It could be that the peace and security is tied in some way to the Antichrist. I believe that if, if we take seriously the book of Revelation, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, earth will be a, an ecological disaster before Jesus returns. It's going, to be, it's going to be a smoldering mess. And the Antichrist will have the ability to bring order out of chaos. You can imagine if there's no drinking water in two thirds of the earth, um, board, national borders will be gone. Mm. It, it'll be mayhem. It'll be utter chaos. And along comes this guy who has the ability to bring order out of chaos. They start, they're, they're able to have drinking water again. They're, they're not murdering each other in the streets. Mm. Um, they're saying peace and safety. And so it could be that's a more narrow context. In any case, peace and safety or peace and security means things look good for me. Mm. So you come to some independent peace thinking everything's fine and destruction comes on them. And the real destruction is coming from God. And he says his labor pains on a pregnant woman. I'm not a woman, neither are you. <laughs> but I've, I, my wife has given birth to five children. I, and my daughter is expecting any day now. I guess she's you know some weeks away. Um, but still, why do the labor pains come when they come? No one knows. It's just this thing that happens and now they come. It could be three in the morning, could be two in the afternoon. You could have been planning, you're not planning. Either way, they come. Mm. And so Jesus says that's how it's gonna be. The destruction will come on them suddenly and they weren't planning for it. Now, why in verse four is the coming day of the Lord that we've just talked about not a surprise for us as Christians? Well, in general, it's not a surprise because we have these scriptures, you know? Uh, just similar to another aspect of eschatology, he says false Christ and false prophets will come and perform signs and wonders mm. to deceive even the elect if that were possible. So be on guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. So we're not going to be fooled. Mm. If you're able to do some amazing magic tricks and some amazing even miracles, we're not going to get swept in. We're listening to your doctrine. And if you're claiming to be the Messiah, the Christ, you're not. And so we're not gonna get deceived. So in the same way, we're not gonna get surprised. Not deceived by the false Christs, mm -hmm. we're not gonna get surprised by the real Christ. Yeah. We're ready. Yeah. We should be, because we've got the scriptures. It's telling us what's going to happen. Yeah, it's comforting and should give us confidence and, and a desire to know the scriptures, right? What do the scriptures yeah. say in evaluating everything through that lens? Yeah, and I, I can't say this strongly enough. I mean, this ministry that we're doing here, brother, is two journeys. The two journeys are personal holiness and gospel advance. Do those things. Mm -hmm. That's what we're told to do. The basic teaching here today is occupy or be busy until I come. Yeah. Be busy doing what? Put sin to death, be holy, and spread the gospel. Yeah. 
That's what, I mean, two journeys is the answer to the big question here is what should I do until Jesus comes? Hmm. As we move into verse five, what does it mean that we're children of light and not of darkness? And what's the spiritual significance of these words, right? Light and darkness. Okay, so light could either represent knowledge or holiness. Uh, Either one of them I think is valid here. First of all, we're not in the dark, meaning we know what's happening. So we've been well instructed. So that would be Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We're not in the darkness, meaning we know what's going to happen. Another way to look at light and darkness is morality or holiness uh, versus immorality or wickedness. Mm -hmm. And so God is light, 1 John 1, 5, and in him there's no darkness at all. If we claim to be in the light yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So that's 1 John 1, 7. So what that is is holiness. So the idea is, and I think we can combine them, we are instructed clearly in God's morality and God's way of life and in his path for us. Mm. And we are to walk in holiness and righteousness in that narrow path of salvation that leads to life. We are to walk that way, very well aware of what's happening. We are in the final days, we're in the last hour, John says. We're at the end. The end is coming imminently. At any moment we need to be ready. Jesus is coming. We are not in the dark. Mm. We are walking in the light. What does Paul mean in verse six? You know, you mentioned before that uh, surely he's not saying that Christians can never go to sleep to get rest, right? But help us understand what Paul is saying here. Well, people who are asleep here, it's a metaphor for being unaware and and not cautious. They're not alert. Like a a sentry in 1968 in, in in Vietnam, just before the Tet Offensive, and everyone's supposed to be on high alert because mm-hmm. there's every indication that the Viet Cong and the North Vietnamese Army are going to be attacking soon. And the guy falls asleep. Mm-hmm. Three of them, he just can't stay awake, awake anymore. That's a picture here of being asleep. Yeah. It's like, you know, the second coming of Christ is coming and you're asleep. And asleep means not alert to Christ, not alert to these things, um, living an immoral life, mm-hmm. trying to hide wickedness, um, lazy, selfish. Uh, at least in this case, we would say unconverted. And so they're they're asleep, they're meaning really spiritually dead in their transgressions and sins while they live. Mm. So the idea here, no, it's not that we can't get a good night's sleep. We need to to do that. Um, But the idea is that we're not asleep in terms of eschatology and the second coming. In verses six through eight, Paul twice mentions that we must be sober. Mm -hmm. Why is sobriety so important for us as Christians? Yeah, so he's using the idea here of drunkenness, and, and the drunkenness is a metaphor for dissipation and wickedness and um, lose, loss of self-control. So uh, being sober, on the other hand, is um, you know, you're, very, you're very alert to dangers, you're alert to what's happening. So let's talk about driving while intoxicated. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it dulls your reaction time, it dulls your perceptions so that you don't see things that are are happening. You don't see uh, that a stop sign's coming or a stoplight is changing from yellow to red or that a pedestrian suddenly is running in front of your car. Mm. You don't see it, or if you do see it, you don't react in time or react properly. Mm. Uh, However, a normal driver, a healthy, normal driver is extremely alert while the car is moving and they're in control of it. You know, it's this big, powerful machine that could instantly end the life of a child Mm. or another driver. And so we're not panicked. We're not rigid with terror. I think 
probably my daughter said she doesn't want to drive she's had enough she got these scare tactic films she's watching driver oh, education and she's like yeah. i'm done <laughs> i'm out no thanks so there's an appropriate level of fear sure but it can't paralyze and so a healthy driver is alert aware and driving moving ahead so i think that's the idea here is that we are we are sober-minded and vigilant about our lives moving ahead so practically speaking how can we as 21st century Western Christians put into practice Paul's command to be sober and be children of the day? Well, in the context here, it's, it's, we have to think about eschatology. We have to realize things are not going to go on here forever. So that would affect how we spend our money. We should spend our money in light of the fact that someday it will be literally worthless. Mm be literally worthless. It will, it, you know, when Jesus comes back, whatever's in your bank account is now irrelevant. So it's, it's hard to know because we are to be, um, you know, like those uh, that store up in the summer for the winter and I get all that. So, um, you know, with money, uh, try to be wise and all that, but that's just an example. With your time, with the direction of your life, the whole thing is live in light of the second coming of Christ. Yeah. In light of the fact that we're aliens and strangers here, you know, Peter said it best of all. He said, look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Be holy mm -hmm. and look forward to the day of God. So I guess that's what it means for me to live in light of the second coming of Christ. And I think that parable of the talents that we've discussed before is also just helpful thinking, and there's something that's been entrusted to us, namely our lives and really everything that we have. Mm -hmm. And there's something required of us as, as those who have been uh, left here with work to do uh, and with a day that is coming, uh, whether it be the end of our lives or that, that day yeah. of the Lord. Yeah, I mean, just diving into Paul's image here, he says, those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get, get drunk, get drunk at night. Well, it's the same thing. Job talks about this um, when he talks about the murderer going out stealthily at mm -hmm. night, mm -hmm. the, the burglar going out stealthily at night. He talks about the, and this is in Job 24, the, um, the adulterer goes out waiting for dusk so he can go be with his neighbor's wife. Mm. Um, it reminds me of John 3 where it says, for everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Mm. Brothers, Paul says, we don't live like that. We live like it's always day. Because even the night is day to God. Mm. Reminds me of this, this, um, this movie called Greater, I think it's about, uh, it's a true story of a Christian um, offensive lineman who was very overweight and, and all that. And then, um, you know, just through sheer dedication and commitment to Christ and all that, whipped himself into shape, went to Arkansas, was an All-American there and then in a first round draft pick of the Colts and then died tragically in a, in a car accident hit by an 18 wheeler, uh, his vehicle was. Mm. Um, Burleson, I think his name was, um, I forget his, I don't know the name, but it's interesting because uh, a new coach there at Arkansas, as Burleson was getting ready for, or this guy was getting ready for his senior senior season, was was training um, in the gym, in the darkened gym, and he could hear noises. The coach and it's like, who is? It? And there he was, and he was training, and he was impressed. The new coach was impressed. He said, "Well, that really makes a difference with me because, you know, uh, your your morality, your ethics is what you do when no one's watching." He said, "But coach, someone's always watching." meaning God. Mm. So he lived as though someone is always watching me. Mm. And that's a good way to live. So he's, Paul's saying the same thing here. Someone's always watching. It's always day to God. So don't do the, the deeds of darkness. Mm. Live in light of the second coming, in light of the fact that God sees everything. In this passage, Paul also uses armor imagery to illustrate the power of faith and love, the hope of our salvation, uh, very similar to Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. Yeah. How are faith and love like a breastplate? 
how is the hope of our salvation like a helmet? Mm-hmm. And how do these keep us from taking part in the deeds of darkness? Yeah, we could go off in that entire direction sure. and spend a lot of time sure. on Ephesians 6. I think the idea here, though, is that we're at war. Mm-hmm. And this is not a placid, benign kind of thing. There is the world of flesh and the devil assaulting our souls until Jesus comes back. So the waiting we're doing, it's almost like you could imagine um, uh, the underground, the French underground in Normandy on June 5th, 1944, the day before, or, or in late May, they're waiting for the invasion. And they're, and they're set, doing their sabotage works against the Germans and all that, but they know the invasion's coming. Mm. And so the idea here is we're at war. So if they went out stealthily at night to prepare for the invasion and do some missions and all that, they still had to be really super careful because the Gestapo are still there, the Germans are still there. So f- friends, we're at war. Mm. I mean, until Jesus comes, your soul is going to be assaulted and you need to put on the full armor of God and take your stand against the devil. He's going to try to get you to stop evangelizing and try to get you to stop being holy, to mm-hmm. entice you with worldliness and wickedness and sin. So you gotta put on the armor of God. And, and here the, the idea is faith and uh, love and hope, those basic attributes. Mm-hmm. Hope has to do with this very thing, the second coming and eternal hope, the, the future is bright. And faith and love, faith in God is you know the, the ability to see invisible spiritual realities, past, present, and future. Mm-hmm. So put all that on. And, and realize every temptation in light of eternity. That's what he's saying. Yeah. Now, what does it mean to be destined for wrath or destined to obtain salvation? And uh, who does Paul say is doing the destining in verse nine? Yeah, we believe in predestination. We believe it's biblical doctrine. We know it's not popular. Um, and we know that here, the implication is something called double predestination, the idea that those some are appointed to life and others are appointed to wrath. Um, and that is the clear teaching of the Bible. It is hard to understand. It's hard to, to reconcile or harmonize that with, with genuine free choices that people make, which they do. So the Bible teaches those things. So I guess we would say that there are, are some that are appointed to life and when they hear the gospel, they repent and believe. And the rest are appointed to destruction. Paul says, however, you, Thessalonians that I'm writing to, you're not appointed to destruction. Mm-hmm. So therefore, you're going to live a certain way before the destruction comes. Paul speaks of obtaining salvation through Jesus Christ as if it's in the future, mm-hmm. but he's writing to justify believers in Jesus. Sure. What part of our salvation is still yet to come? Yeah, so the second coming is a great cataclysm of judgment. He's coming back with an army of angels to slaughter his enemies. It would be very good to survive that day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then even more, when the Son of Man comes in his Father's glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on a throne of heavenly glory and he will divide all people. All nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another into two categories, sheep and goats. It'd be very good to be in the sheep and not the goats. And what's going to happen to the goats? He will say to them, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So to to be welcomed into heaven and not be sent to hell, that's the final salvation. Mm. And so there is an aspect in which our salvation in the scripture, in the New Testament is spoken of as past, present, and future. We have been saved, there are scriptures that teach that. We are being saved, First Corinthians chapter one, uh, uses present tense language of being saved. And then we will be saved. 
So that's Romans 5. He says um, in Romans 5, for if when we were still sinners, we were saved from God's wrath through, or how much more will we be saved from God's wrath through him? So that's a, will we be saved from the wrath? So there's a future wrath. Or as John the Baptist said, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? There's a coming wrath. That hasn't come yet, so we still need to be saved from it in the future. Yeah. Verse 10 says, uh, Jesus Christ died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. What's the connection between Jesus dying for us and us living with him? It's our only hope. The mm -hmm. only way we sinners are going to survive the second coming of Christ and judgment day is justification by faith alone, not how well we're doing the two journeys. Let me be very clear about that. Your best day of progress in the two journeys will not save you. It doesn't matter. You take your best day and say, this is the best I ever was. It will not be good enough. Mm -mm. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teaches the law, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm. The only righteousness good enough to survive the second coming of Christ and judgment day is Christ's own righteousness given to us as a gift, imputed to us by faith. And Jesus did die for us and imputed to us our uh, his, his death in our place and his righteousness as a gift. That's the only way we'll survive the second coming of Christ. In the final verse that we're looking at today, Paul encourages the Thessalonians to go on encouraging one another and building one another up. How should we use this text, uh, really verses one through 11, to encourage and build up fellow believer? And sure. what final thoughts do you have for us? Well, I feel, Wes, that you and I have done that with this podcast today. By walking through these verses mm -hmm. carefully and teaching them, we hope that our listeners will be encouraged yeah. and exhorted, you know, mm -hmm. exhorted to live, um, filled with courage. Uh, we should encourage and build each other up by reading 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11 to each other and talking about it. Mm -hmm. So you don't even, you don't need this podcast. Just take the text and go to somebody, another Christian, and encourage them, it says, um, and build each other up as you are doing. And look at uh, the end of verse uh, 18 of chapter 4. Mm. What does that say in your version? The very encourage last Encourage one another with these words. With these words. Mm. So these words are the text. <laughs> so take First Thessalonians 4 and five and read it to each other and encourage each other. Yeah. So I think that's the best way we can do. That's great. And what an application for us. May you take uh, these words, not what we've said in this podcast, but these words given to us by God and encourage one another as we look forward to that day. Well, this has been episode five in our Thessalonians Bible study podcast. We would invite you to join us next time for episode six, where we'll discuss First Thessalonians 5, 12 through 28. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification, and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.